Welcome to Sunday morning at the movies at ECC. <laughs> That's uh, from uh, the folks over at, over at uh, BibleProject.com. It's just one of many excellent resources over there, videos, articles, and a podcast. So I encourage you to take a look at that. So exile is something all of us have experienced, even if we haven't always recognized it. At the most profound level, exile is the space where we find ourselves before we come to know Christ. And all of humanity is in exile or coming out of exile by faith in Christ. And even when we come to know Christ, we still find ourselves in exile. We're still dealing with the effects of sin and the fall. We're still living in a world that, though beautiful, is also broken. And we still encounter its effects on our way out of exile. Sometimes, exile can get the better of us. We may have events happen in our lives, and we become more acutely aware of the unfinished nature of the world, the pandemic, civil unrest, war, or something very personal happens to us. Last week, I named off a few ways that any of us might experience exile, loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of a home, and I didn't remember until later that day that about a month before I went on sabbatical, Mark and Reba Kinder, right over there, where are you, there you are, it's bright up here, uh, their home burned to the ground. And they had to move out and live in someone else's home. And I ran into Mark this week over at Bauer Center where he and Reba uh, serve each week faithfully. And he said to me, with a smile on his face, we're in exile. And that smile was in part because, as he told me later in a text, that he and Reba have learned to thrive and even find joy in exile. God has graciously provided for them during this time. So you see, we can still be in Babylon and we can find a way to live and have hope and even joy, as last week's letter from the prophet Jeremiah instructed us. But sometimes our time in exile, our time in Babylon, weighs heavily on us. So our exile can be something outside of us or it could be very much internal. We just have one of those times when we experience a dryness or a distance from God. Not because God is distant from us, but because we are not aware of how near he is to us. And when that happens, we need a word from the Lord. I found myself in a place like that earlier this week. A few things were just beginning to wear on me personally and here at church, and I was in a bit of a funk. I wouldn't say it was in a dark place, but it was cloudy there. It was a bit twilight, spiritually speaking. But then God just met me, just met me in a powerful way. And I know God can meet you too if you find yourself in a place like that. And that is part of what exile and return from exile is all about. Knowing God can meet us wherever we are, however far we may be. This morning we enter into the second week of Advent, the season of the year that prepares us for the birth of Christ. And for us to best understand what Advent is all about, indeed what Christmas is all about, and a key component of how to best understand the whole of Scripture we need to think about, we need to consider exile. As you saw in that video, the imagery of exile runs throughout our Bibles. And once you realize this, you begin to see it everywhere. As it said in the video, it happens when Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. But it's a lot more prevalent than that. Exile happens when Jacob flees his brother Esau after he has stolen his blessing. It happens when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. We see it when Jonah is swallowed by the big fish and spit out on the shore of a foreign land. It's all over the Old Testament prophets. 
It happens when John the Baptist is baptizing people in the wilderness at the River Jordan. It happens when Joseph, Mary, and the infant Jesus flee to Egypt. The New Testament, in the New Testament becomes a metaphor for life without God. Life enslaved by sin, futility, and death. And exile becomes a metaphor for what it means to follow Jesus and to know that we are in fact longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You get the point. Exile is everywhere, including in chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel, and I bet you thought I'd never get there. Verses 1 through 3. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. In last week's sermon, when Jeremiah wrote his letter to the exiles, the temple still stood in Jerusalem. But now in Ezekiel's day, the temple has been destroyed. Things look and feel and likely are rather hopeless for these exiles. Even if they do return home, there's nothing left. It's a mess. And then we know what happens in the rest of Ezekiel's vision. God tells him to prophesy to the bones, and as he does so, the bones come together. And then tendons and muscles and blood veins, I suppose. You can, there's a YouTube uh, uh, video that has a depiction of this. It's a little gross, but you might want to watch it sometime. Very science fiction-y. Comes together, and the skin is on them, but they're still dead. There's no breath in them. There's just dead bodies. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. But there in verse 11, that last sentence, God appears to be quoting something that the Israelites are saying. In other places in Scripture, Psalm 62, Psalm 31, you have that kind of language about the bones being dry or in agony. This is a place of desperation. This is a place of hopelessness. But God can work even there. The other day, when I was feeling a bit down and disconnected from God, I was drawn again to read from the writings of Brother Lawrence, a 17th century uh, French monk, who wrote a book, a little booklet called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in that book, he shares his secret for a rich prayer life and an intimate relationship with God and several letters that he wrote to people who sought him out for his counsel. In one of the letters, toward the end of the book, he is writing to someone who is gravely ill, has been suffering much. And while I don't agree with everything I read in Brother Lawrence or just about anything else I read outside of the Bible... uh, When he's right, he's very right. And more often than not, he's right. So he counsels this person who's ill. He says, come to the Lord. Ask him not to deliver you from your pain, but ask him for strength to bear this thing. Ask him to give you a deep, strong love for him. Ask him to give you everything that would please him. Ask him to give you what he will and to do with you what he wishes as long as he pleases. A prayer like that is a little difficult to pray. Such a prayer is against the nature of the soul, but it is one very acceptable to God. And now I know who says the amens. Thanks, Victor. There's a fuller quote in the Bible app 
uh, live event that I've got for you if you want to read more of what he says there. But as I read that passage, I thought to myself, well, if these words can be effective for this person who's ill and suffering immensely, I think perhaps they can inform me and how I can live my life in my small problems and how I pray and how I relate to God when I feel disconnected. In my small struggle, I had stepped off the path that was leading me out of exile and home again. But in Brother Lawrence's words, I began to find a way to pray. I began to find a way to pray. And God met me and put me back on that path out of exile. And suddenly I was refreshed. I experienced joy that morning. My experience tells me that some of you may say to me later this morning that you're glad I share my struggles because you like to know that pastors are human and struggle too. And I assure you that we do. And that's fine. But if that's all you take from this, I will be disappointed that I haven't been clear. What I want for you is not just that you realize that pastors struggle too, because we do. I want you to know that you can be met by God as I was. You can find your way back on the path that leads out of exile. The people of Israel in, in exile in Babylon have far more difficulties and challenges and problems than I have. So the word of God for them could surely speak to me and to you today as well. Verses 12 through 14. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God promises new life for his people. He will raise them up from their spiritual death, and they will become a mighty army, and they will return to the land, and they will return to their God. During exile, Israel awaited the advent, the arrival of their king, their Messiah, their deliverer. During our advent, we should be reminded that before we have come to know Christ, we too needed a deliverer. During our advent, we should be looking forward to not just celebrating Christmas, we should be looking forward to the promise that one day Jesus will come again. We should be looking forward to the, to the promise that every day Jesus can come to us anew. And we should realize that all of us, all of humanity, we're all either stuck in exile or we're on our way out of exile. Which is it for you? Which is it for you? This is why the Apostle Peter addresses his first letter the way he does in verse 1, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. We who know Christ are indeed scattered, but we are also on our way back home. On our way out of exile. But why is this theme of exile so important? Why am I spending so much time on this instead of shepherds and wise men and angels and Mary and Jesus and Joseph? Because the birth of Christ is the answer to a question that is being asked by our scriptures and throughout history. It is the answer to a question. I am indebted to singer, songwriter, and teacher, scholar Michael Card for putting this together so nicely. I've added a few things to his ideas, but the structure comes from him, and I want to acknowledge that. 
What is the question that pretty much all of Scripture and all of God's history with his people is trying to answer? It is this. What does God want? What does God want? From the very first chapters of Genesis, we discover that what God wants is to be with us. God wants to be with us. God walks in fellowships with Adam and Eve in the garden. and Even when they disobey, God is not finished with them. And he is not finished with us. Over and over throughout the pages of Scripture, we human beings, we break the covenant. God keeps keeping the covenant. God keeps seeking a way to remain in relationship with us. He gives the law to the Jewish people for this reason. In Leviticus 26, 12, God says that if his people will keep his, this covenant with him, he will walk among them, he will be their God, and they will be his people. So God gives the law so that he can be with us. God also then later dwells in the tent or the tabernacle. Why? So he can be with us. Same thing happens in the temple later. And then God sends the prophets one after another to warn us, all so that he could maintain a relationship with us, so that he could be with us. It is the reason finally he comes to us in the word made flesh, in the birth of Christ, to fix this covenant relationship problem once and for all. It is the reason Christ was called Emmanuel, God with us. In the Gospel of Matthew, the last words on Jesus' lips right at the end, before his ascension, are these, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And then God gives the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Why? So that God can be with us. It's also, also the reason he gives us one another. God comes to us in our sisters and brothers in Christ. God is with us. And then the very end of our Bibles, in the book of Revelation, God promises a new order. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John writes of a vision he's had, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is what God wants. God pursues us. God gives us the law. God sends us prophets. God becomes one of us. God gives us his spirit. He gives us the gift of one another. He gives it all so that he can have the thing he most desires to be with us. And the beautiful thing is, again, as Michael Card puts it, is the thing God wants most is the thing we need most. The thing God wants most is the thing we need most. Exile is where we find ourselves when we are running from God. We begin to return from exile when we respond to God's call to us in Christ Jesus. And that return that return to our home in the birth of Christ, that's where it begins. It is the incarnation. It is the enfleshing of God among us as one of us. But it gets even better. Not only does God become one of us, God dies for us in the death of Christ on the cross and rises again. And in doing so, he conquers the grave once and for all. This resurrection in the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37 is meant to give hope to the exiles in ancient Babylon and hope to us who are in exile today as well. So as we prepare for communion together, I want to offer you another image of exile that we find in our New Testaments, the parable of the prodigal son. 
And then I want to offer you a different interpretation of that parable that I have found profoundly meaningful, personally. I'm not going to read the whole parable. I'm just going to read part, the part that has to do with exile and return. I want you just to listen to this. See if you can hear these themes from Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a fam there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The themes of exile there are clear. The young son rebels against his father's wishes and goes to a foreign land. And he lives there and he squanders his inheritance until he hits rock bottom. And then he comes to his senses and he prepares to go back to his father who then welcomes him home and throws him a party. But I was introduced, actually reintroduced, because I'd read this book before. I'd just forgotten this. I was introduced to a different take on this parable to be clear about this parable. This is not, what I'm about to share with you, is not what Jesus is teaching in the parable. That's not what I'm saying. It's more of a metaphor for something that is quite powerful. In a book entitled The Return of the, the Prodigal Son, Henry Nouwen offers up what we might call a Christocentric or Christ-centered interpretation of the parable. And in this interpretation, Jesus is the prodigal son. Jesus is the prodigal son. The word prodigal, after all, doesn't mean lost, doesn't mean destitute, it means wasteful, it means extravagant. Jesus is the prodigal son. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't leave the father because of rebellion, but rather he leaves the father to take on our sinful condition. By taking on flesh and blood, the son of God wastes his inheritance. He gives everything he has in order to go to this place. He gives it away extravagantly. He is prodigal. And he lives in a foreign land. But he does so on our behalf. He becomes one of us and goes into a form of exile all the way to the lowest possible place, the grave. And from there, he makes the way back home to the Father for us all. 
Because Christ is with us, we come to our senses in the mud among the pigs. Because Christ is with us, we, we go to him with repentant hearts as he returns to the Father God. Because Christ is with us, the Father welcomes us, clothes us in the finest robe, puts a ring on our finger, and throws us a party. Understanding the nature of exile and our deadness in sin helps us to better understand and appreciate what God in Christ has done for us. It helps us to prepare for the incarnation and the birth of Christ at Christmas. So this morning, I want to offer you a couple of options to help you do that, to prepare. First, if you have not already done so, it is not too late to sign up for our Advent prompts that will come to you either by text message on your phone or by email. Uh, each weekday during the rest of the season of Advent. Kate Cogswell has been writing these, and they've been very meaningful this week, so I encourage you to do that. You can get those Advent props by texting the word at advent-ecc to the number 81010, or if you want them by email, email us at church at ecc at ecclife.net, and we will set that up. Second, I have linked an older album by Michael Card entitled The Promise. It is a beautiful theological look at the coming of Christ in music that, I, that Kim and I have used over the years many times to help us prepare. Um, and that's in the Bible app live event. All of these things are. Finally, Andrew Peterson also has a wonderful album entitled Behold the Lamb of God, which I've also linked in your Bible app live event. And, I, and I've given you a link there as well to a live streaming event that will happen tomorrow night, a concert in Nashville of Behold the Lamb of God. It costs 20 bucks to, to get the streaming, but it's for your whole house. So if you just get it, as many people as you can cram in your house can watch it for $20. And it is a, a powerful, a powerful retelling of the story. So I encourage you to do that as well. During this season of Advent, let us remember what Christ has done for us and what Christ has yet to do for us. Let us remember that God's deepest desire is to be with us. Oh, and everybody you know. And let us remember that our deepest need is to be with God, who has done everything possible to make this happen. And let us prepare our hearts each day to receive him anew, to prepare him room in our lives and in all of our relationships. As we close in prayer and prepare our hearts for communion, I will invite you to a simple breath prayer, just three times through. We're going to do it together. Close your eyes, breathe slowly in, and simply say the word in your head, Emmanuel, and when you exhale, the meaning of that word, God is with us. Just take a few seconds here and let's do that together and then I'll close in prayer. God, we give you thanks that you are with us. And you have always desired to be with us. We give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks that you have not left us in our own exiles, the exiles of our making. But you have found a way for us to come home, and that way is Jesus. God, I pray for any who might be here today who have not yet stepped out onto that pathway, that they would find the grace to cry out to you, to ask you to forgive them, to ask you to draw them to yourself to fill them, and to transform them. And I pray for all of us, O oh God, that we would be reminded in this time of where we have come from and where we are going, and that we would again find 
in you, in the pathway out of exile, the joy to live well and faithfully on this journey. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.